The Oscars overcame four turnovers to rally on the road Friday night and win against Rutgers 28-21. 2020 would come to an end a few days later as Nebraska declined to participate in a bowl season following a team vote. We'll unpack not only the Rutgers win, but the entire 2020 season, along with that decision to not play in a bowl game. Our special guest, Parker Gabriel from Lincoln Journal Star. John Callahan will also be with us to take a look at the 2021 Nebraska recruiting class that signed last week in early signing period. It's all coming up next on NET's Big Red Wrap-Up. Hi, everyone. I'm Michael Severe. Welcome to NET's Big Red Wrap-Up. The final number for the Huskers, three wins ending the 2020 season. Joining me, former Husker Jay Moore. It's good to end with a win because the majority of teams obviously end with <laughs> losses. It's good to end with a win. Yeah, it is. You go on a high note. Yeah. You know, and this has been a, this has been a crazy year, but you start off slow. You're down at half. You, in, you, you fight back, and this is your best offensive performance, your best defensive performance. You look at the statistics-wise, yeah. yards-wise, you know, you put up over 600 yards. You hold in the 252 mm-hmm. total yards in, in today's call, in day and age of college football. That's, that doesn't happen hardly yeah. anymore. It's a, good, it's a high note. It's a way to finish off, you know, and we'll get into the whole bowl situation. Yeah. But, you know, ending on a high note is, is, is a thing that maybe have gone into the decision. But they, they, played, they played well for two halves, yeah. or excuse me, one half. If you go yeah. in the database and you put in four turnovers, kickoff return, touchdown, <laughs> no way. And fake punt, right. there's no way win no way. out. No way. No way win No, you get that out. ESPN predictor. Yes. Yeah, it's like 97.5, <laughs> yeah. like you're losing that you're football losing game. that game, yeah. That's remarkable, but that if that's not a just a a showing, just how this football team is. It's, it's a like, microcosm. It's a team. micro. Yeah, it's yeah. just when you think they're going to do things are going their way, mm-hmm. it doesn't. And then when you know in this this game, I, I was really worried about where their mindset was because listen, it was a tough trip out there. It too. was a great. Yeah. It was a hard trip. They had the that that storm that went through there, and I mean, you had no family there. No, no one is allowed to be in the right. in the stands there in New Jersey. And if you really did not want to be there, it was obviously going to show. They had juice, they yeah. had charisma, they had enthusiasm. They 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 played well. So, <laughs> but then again, you have those, you have the the two fumbles, the two picks, the special teams issues. Mm-hmm. And you're like, there's no way. But you just looked at the, st- the statistical information without the the final box score. You're right. like, Nebraska won this football game 49 to 10 easily, easily. Yes, and it yeah. was 28 21. Yeah. They have 40 yards with their starting position. Nebraska was 20. Right. There's so many stats in there that if I, when I normally look at the stats, and Nebraska had a ton of big plays. That's great. Uh, they did a bunch of stuff plays. They did very good on that as well. But in the end, you can't make that many mistakes. No. Not against a good team. And I would no. say that Rutgers looked like they were at the end of their season. Yeah. They really looked tired and beat up. And I think Nebraska helped get them there, too. Yeah, well, without a doubt. And they had some guys go down. They looked tired in the second half. They had a healthy note of Edgel. Yeah. That might have been a different story. But how about Nebraska goes three drives over 90 yards there in the second half? Incredible. And the first team to ever to do that this year. They get the interception at around the seven-minute mark, mm-hmm. and they're like, you're not getting the ball back. No. And they go for it on that fourth down play. Yeah. And I love the call. And ran love over the, the left side where you have the freshman left tackle. Loved how he played. How yeah. about that, huh? You have Hymas opts well. out, and he says, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check out. Yeah. He's got to invite the senior bowl. Congratulations to Brendan Hymas. But 
you have Turner Cochran that comes in the true fire. And the biggest thing that I say when you're, you're, you're an offensive lineman, you don't ever want your name called, right? True. I did not hear Turner Cochran, his name called once yeah, for a penalty. One penalty, did he? but it got wiped out because of the interception. Okay, so, yeah. but like, Homeboy looked nice. He, did. he looked good. He looked he looked prepared. Yeah, it was it was a did. well it was a great performance for a true freshman. And then Trent Nixon came in and played well at the left mm-hmm. guard spot too. I know there's a lot to talk about, and we'll begin to break down the 2020 season. It has been wild. We need your help to do so. Reach out and connect with us by texting or emailing BigRed at netnebraska.org. You can also find us on social media. Leave your comments and questions on either a Facebook page or send it to us on Twitter. We're monitoring it all so we can make sure you join in in the conversation and the discussion. Last week, we asked you, have you seen Nebraska improve in three years under Scott Frost? 67% of the people said yes. Of course, 33 said no. Did Friday's game change your mind? I don't know, but we do know this week's all-new sideline survey. Do you agree with Nebraska's decision to forego bowl season? Another straightforward question, yes or no. As of right now, 66% say no. You can go to our website, of course, to cast your vote. We now bring in Sean Callahan to talk more about that decision made by Nebraska to forego the bowl season. Were you surprised, first of all, coming off of the Friday win, Sean, that they decided to vote against the bowl? So when I was out in Rutgers on Friday, I said to myself, all right, if they win this game, they're going to want to keep playing and they're going to want to play another game. But then as we began to ask the players, particularly the offensive players after the game, you got the sense, especially Adrian and Wandell and Diedrich, it, it wasn't a slam dunk. And then, you know, they get back at 3.30 in the morning. They call the kids in about noon or so to, to vote and go over uh, the, the plan for a bowl. Um, and, you know, I, I think the timing was tough. Guys were obviously beat up. They were tired. Uh, from the long trip, mm-hmm. um, and you know the process was interesting. I, I I don't know if I've ever heard before where Nebraska's done a big open team discussion, a team vote, a position vote uh, to make a decision that typically would be made by university leadership and a head coach. And um, I'm sure Scott Frost was expecting his guys to say, "Let's do one more." And 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 we, as we know, that the decision did not go the way um, Scott Frost probably thought it was going to go. Yeah, I remember in 2003 there was a vote kind of talking about what was going to happen after Solskjaer. But I don't think that was a vote that was going to basically stop them from going, right? Well, I, yeah, I mean, that, was, that, was, that right. was when I was there. So yeah. Frank Solskjaer is fired. Fired, right. And then Bo Pelini is interim head coach. I remember right. we had a meeting with the whole team. We were in there in the old South Stadium, and we're like, we're not playing a bowl game. We right. said that. I mean, we already scheduled to play Alamo Bowl against Michigan State. We're not playing. And Bo came in and said, listen, guys, like, pump the brakes. I believe I'm going to be the next head coach. At this, at this university, we need to play this game. So everyone's like, great, because that's what we if, – if we're not going to have Frank, that's, we'll have Bo. Right. And we're like, we'll play. And obviously, that wasn't the case. Right, sure. But we did. There was, there was a majority of the team that said, we're not going to play this bowl game because of – I mean, people were mad that Frank Solz got fired after 9-3 season. I mean, mm-hmm. it, was, it, was a, it was a poor decision, and, and guys want to step up and, and, and stand up for Frank. But Bo came in there and cleaned up the situation. And I think – who knows if he was actually told he was going to be or not, but I think he just kind of fell on the sword a little bit to say, hey, we got to play this game. We cannot play this game and turn out an Alamo Bowl situation. Sean, how close do you think this vote was to playing or not playing? Well, I, you know, it's interesting from what I gathered, they really only surveyed the two deep. I think if you went down the full 150, I think there would have been more votes to play, but 
when you're probably it was probably 60 40 is my read on the top 50 players and and most of the no's are on the offensive side of the ball from how um, I gathered and I think the defensive guys with the way they've been playing football the way they played Friday night those guys wanted to play another game they were having a really good last month of the season if you track how they played uh, I mean that group really had a a good year and they wanted to give it another week out there so um, I think it got pretty heated I mean there's no doubt in my mind it did because um, you know you, you don't get to play football games very often in college and you don't get to go on bowl trips and I think about it like this Jay how would you like to be a senior at Nebraska uh, a, a rare senior that's not ever played in a bowl game I and mean, Jojo Doman played in a bowl game in 16 not one other senior on that roster has played a snap in a bowl game for Nebraska and that's a pretty rare uh, you know group of considering the the history of the program here. Yeah, I I put myself in this situation. If I was left to a vote, there would be no way in hell that I would say, no, I'm not turning this this game down. Listen, I, I mean, I remember walking out as my last home game at Nebraska against Colorado my senior year. I mean, we're doing the tunnel walk, and your times you're, you're, you're amped up and you're geeked up to play. I'm crying because this is my last time I get to experience this. And I grew up, like, listen, I wanted to play football at Nebraska from when I was three, four years old, since what I knew at Nebraska football was. And I am, tears are in my eyes walking out this tunnel, and I got to go play in a football game because <laughs> this is the last time I get to do this, right? And then we play, we play the Big 12 Championship. Then we go play the Cotton Bowl against Auburn. And then, again, so we don't win that football game. We play well enough defensively. Then I'm, again, walking out the field, and it's those same emotions. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is – it's over just like that. It's a blink of an eye. And it was another opportunity. I just – I just put myself in that situation, being a Nebraska kid and taking so much pride in in what I wanted to do as a player and trying to provide, trying to do the best I can, not for that program and for the state of Nebraska, and to turn it down. I, I would have never, in a thousand years, turned down another opportunity to wear that uniform one more time. I think these kids, yeah, I can see both sides, but to to do it one more time, and I, who knows in the last football game you're going to be able to play. These kids just, it's so nearsighted to me sometimes that I would go back, I would love to go back and just do it one more time, one more time. And I, you know, it, it is what it is. This year's been crazy. I know they've been put a lot, but I, there was no way, no way in hell I could have I've turned down one more chance to wear that end on, my, on the side of my head. Sean, we'll talk more about it uh, later in the show and get more into it as well. We appreciate you. Uh, well, it's time now to head to the game highlights and click over to Friday's win over Rutgers. It was a fun game to watch. It certainly was. It was a cold night, a little bit of windy night as well. Uh, there in Rutgers in SHI Stadium. Early on, though, it was a lot of turnovers. Here's Adrian Martinez making a guy missing, getting flipped over. Now, this is a great defensive play. Jay, as he's flipping over, the guy actually takes the ball from him. Yeah, I, when I look at this, like, oh, his head hit. He has to be down. But no, it comes out before. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that a, that a great football play. Recovered by number zero, who had all four of the turnovers. <laughs> and then the biggest play all day for Rutgers, a 50-yard pass down the field to Melton from Zikowski, uh Leads to the Blackers, again, stand up. Leads to a field goal. Ambrosio was a soccer player at Rutgers. They needed a kicker. He goes over there, becomes a pretty good one. Then, again, more of the same. Martinez makes a move and helmet right on the ball. And after this play, he loses the sleeves. Yes. He (laughs) does. He comes out, and the sleeves are cut off. Yeah, that was the rule Frank Solich had for the running backs Mm -hmm. for years. No sleeves. I don't care how cold it is. But then again, as we mentioned, the Blackshirts have played really well over the second half of this season. They get the stop again. Ambrosio puts up Rutgers 6 to nothing. 
And here's where Adrian kind of found his groove a little bit at this point. After those fumbles, when I really thought maybe they would go to Logan Smothers at this point, Adrian stays in. He goes to Levi Falk here, a guy who maybe will be back next year uh, to play continually. And then Dedrick Mills, big game. Boom. Yeah, almost 200 yards rushing. Finally. Finally. You got to score, boy. Yeah. You got to score. Because he knows gotta he's not going to get the ball right. down the goal line. Right. <laughs> yeah, then we can we discuss the – I think this is the, the series where they get the shovel pass to, to Hickman there yes. as a go. But then, I mean, Adrian could have walked in, yeah. right? I mean, he, he's Wondell standing there by himself still like, yeah. but hey, Wandell, take the shot for me, would you? Exactly. And then here, this is another really good throw by Adrian Martinez. He missed this throw last week. He did. Yep. Vedro made the throw last year. Same one against Northwestern. It's the same route they run there. And then this was a poor decision. Yeah, it just for, I mean, great interception, one-handed there. But just trying to force it. And we've seen this. This is reminiscent of the Northwestern game. Trying to force something. Yeah. He just didn't see that guy. I mean, <laughs> come on. That's that's a that's a top ten interception of uh, of the year right there. And here's what Rutgers does. This is Melton again. They run these over and over. This was one of the three big plays they had on the day. It was a 22-yard gain there. And then, of course, here's fourth and one. Same as what happened last week. Mm-hmm. Pacheco gets through there. He scores the touchdown. Um, now, all of a sudden, Rutgers is up 14-7 to after they get the two-point conversion. But Martinez comes back and makes a at this point, makes this throw. They ran a couple times where they brought the back back out of the backfield and made this throw to both Dedrick Mills and they made it to Wando Robinson. It was very successful. Uh, Dedrick Mills finally getting a bunch of carries. This is what we wanted all season. Right. Somebody. The, just get 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 north and south. And just run it. And finally, we, we just see Adrian kind of get loose here and, and <laughs> score. So many yeah. times he's been, he's been open field and he hasn't been able to finish off. But finally, he makes a good... You know, instead of running out of bounds, yeah. we've seen him do a lot this right. year. He puts his foot in the ground and, and, and scores. That was three years of frustration. That was eight plays, 90 yards. You mentioned the three 90-plus yard drives. But you cannot kick to Aaron Crutchank. No. We knew this coming in. It was rule number one. And somehow, and I know that Scott Frost said he didn't know how it happened, but they ended up kicking. Wasn't the plan, right? It was not the plan to kick to him. I guarantee you it wasn't the plan. No, I'm gonna break the, I'll break this play down, too, in the huddle, too. Yeah, was, there were some guys on the field. I don't know why they were even out there in coverage. But it's a road game, and you got fewer guys to go on the road, for sure. Uh, and then after that, Adrian Martinez overthrows Wando Robinson. There was no one in front, so I don't know why the ball was so high. Four turnovers for Adrian Martinez, all of them by the same guy that is in guys, the guy who had all four of them. But here's more of Adrian Martinez, 157 yards rushing on the day, two touchdowns, uh, very efficient running day. And then Elante Brown gets into the mix. Where's he been all season? I don't know. Where's a lot of guys been all season, right? <laughs> it's been the inconsistencies of this wide receiver group and everybody's been, other than that guy, yes. that guy's been consistent Wonder day Robinson. in and day out. You know what you're going to get with that but that guy right there. That was a rarity to make a 21-21. That's a red zone passing touchdown. That is one of the rarest things you're going to find in a Nebraska football game. But one of the things you saw a lot on Friday night was this, Dedrick Mills getting more yards as he continued to pack them on, getting close to 200 yards on the day with that. That run, that was a 50-yard run. Most carries on the season as well for a running back. And then it was a tight end game. He had five passes to tight ends in the game as well. Adrian Martinez with his second rushing touchdown to make it 28-21 after a very uh, efficient drive. And then it was up to the Blackshirts to get a stop. And again, they got a stop. It was Cam Taylor-Britt, who's had a fantastic season, might be the defensive player of the year for Nebraska, gets the interception right there. And then it's up to Nebraska's offense to go on a four-minute drive. It's a little bit longer than that. Get the first down there to put it all away. And then you can just kneel and get the win. Best play in football, being able to kneel right there and take care of business as Nebraska wins 28 
to 21. We take a look at the final stats. It was a great offensive performance for Nebraska. 620 yards. Look at the rushing yards. 365 rushing yards. Very efficient day. Uh, only two passes that he threw actually hit the ground. He was 24 of 28. Let's go deeper into the playbook now. Jay Moore, who's standing by in the huddle. All right, so we're going to look at some special teams plays. Now. We haven't done that, I don't think, at all in the last couple of years, but special teams has been a big issue with this football team. I want to look at the, the kickoff return and the fake punt, but let's, let's check out this uh, kickoff return we saw already in the highest with Crookshank. So kickoff. Now, you get everyone here. Everyone is a – you're, you're in a lane. You're all going down in your lane, right? And you have to have lane integrity, right? And you have to have a feel for this and how people are trying to – get you out of your lane, and if you feel like they're trying to get you out, you got to fight back in your lane. So as we go ahead and kick this thing off, and I don't think this was supposed to go to Crookshank. I think this was probably supposed to go to the other side of the field, but it is. Boom. As we go here. Now, if everyone's in their lane, but look at this. You have a guy getting kicked out. We have three guys right on top of each other here. One, two, three, and you're going to have, you have, uh, you have another guy sitting out here waiting, but he's going to get blocked out. So this is Poor, very poor lane integrity. You have to have a feel. you got to try to fight pressure with pressure to come over top, get back in your lane to make a play. They don't. They get pushed out, and all of a sudden, boom. you got a big lane. You have guys getting blocked, blocked. And all of a sudden, you got two guys leading up. you got a guy getting a hand on here. He can't come over top to get, a, to get over cross. And you never can rely on the kicker to ever make a tackle. You can't do it. They're not going to do it, so don't even try. He doesn't do it there. So all of a sudden, Kirk sinks off to the races. He gets you again this year. He gets you again last year in Wisconsin. Bad special teams again. So let's go to the fake punt. So if I'm going to teach you anything in this last bigger wrap of 2020, football's all about numbers, okay? So <laughs> I don't, it's, I'm not a math major. I'm not trying to teach anything crazy. So if you want to break this down, I'm going to do my best to count here. We have one two, three, four, five guys on this side of the ball. We got one, two, three on this side, okay? And they have one, two, three, four. We are outnumbered. So what do they do? They're going to see it, and Rutgers has kind of done the, the rollout kick. It's just a simple math issue here. They're going to see it. You're going to boom. Guess what? Bam. He's here. He's getting reached. If you want to equate it to a defensive play, he's getting. He's not setting the edge. He's not being outside. You have your 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 guys in the corners here turning their back on the gunners, which they're supposed to do, and you have you have zero help. So it's a simple math setting yourself up for success at the beginning and putting yourself in the right position to win the play. And Nebraska, for some reason, in special teams just can't continue to it continues to put themselves in bad spots. And if you want to talk about why Rutgers won three games this year, in those three games, they made special teams play. They may have the best punter in all of the Big Ten from what we saw. They got Krukchank, who's a great returner, and then Ambrosio, who's the former soccer player, makes his field goals. Mm -hmm. So that's why they won three games this year, because of how good they were. And they could have easily won this game without having much offense. <laughs> that's, that's Well, yeah, because they, they finish the game plus three and lose in the yeah. turnover category. And you get a special teams touchdown, It's you would think. But this was yeah. – that you throw the – you kind of throw the rules of the game and yeah. kind of out the window. But it's just a wild game. 620 yards to 250 yards. Mm -hmm. Nebraska is minus three. Rutgers is plus three. And, yep. you get, and they win by seven. Right. 
2020, right? It is 2020. <laughs> it's a very weird year. Let's take a look at our players of the game from Rutgers. Our players of the game, you've seen them before. It's not a surprise. Dedrick Mills having his best game of the year with 191 rushing yards, 25 rushes. The most I believe he's ever had was 24 rushes. It's 25. 7.6 yards a carry, the long for 50. Would have been nice if he'd have scored on that 143-yard Yes. Yeah, because that's the only way he was getting a touchdown because they weren't giving <laughs> the ball in the red zone. Uh, and then we last week we had a, a Nick Heinrich who was mm-hmm. filling in as inter, interior um, linebacker. He could have been picked again. He could have. He, he had 12 could've. more tackles. But I thought Will Honus as a senior played very well, filled a few times, had a nice tackle for loss. I thought he played really well. He did. He right. stepped up. You know, and a, and a guy that got has dealt some injuries in yeah. his career here, he has played much better. And a guy that who was dinged up early in the year and he did not play against Northwestern, you had Luke Reimers coming like, oh boy, yeah. hey, Lou Holness, like, right. you better get your game together because Luke Reimers has come to take your spot. And he's he stepped up. And then you don't have Luke Reimers now yep. for, for the, the rest of this year. And he has stepped up and played really, really good football this year. Yeah, and I, now we wonder if he comes back. Now all these guys can yeah, come that's, back. Yeah, that's the yeah. discussion, right? I mean, there's anybody can come back, right? But it's sure. just... What's your opportunity look at the next level? Right. How much do you love the grind and, and, exactly. and the just, I always call it embracing the suck. Yes. Right? It's, it's a military term. Yes, like, it is. Yes, you it know, is. and it's, yeah. it's. And you, you got to go to school. You, well, you got to you you go to graduate school. Well, yeah. If you, yeah. It's like. Yeah, take a dance class or something. Well, you got to take like <laughs> six total hours. Right, so right. Like, take two classes. Right. So I think you'd be able to handle that. But again, it's like, how, how invested do you want to be sure. in the, into the process? Up next on the show, we'll be joined by Parker Gabriel to do a deep dive into the 2020 season. As we go to break, though, enjoy these images from Hale Varsity. We'll be right back. Here are this week's top plays as voted on by you from the Rutgers game. Number three, Wando Robinson's 38-yard reception on second and 20. This is a route they've run a number of times. They've missed on it. Last year, I mentioned Noah Vedrill hit it against Northwestern, a lead down for that field goal to win the game. It's nice to see him hit that pass. I agree. <laughs> Agent Martinez's run, 41 yards. You mentioned it didn't go out of bounds, cuts back in. I, I think it looked like three years of frustration all let out on this run <laughs> of getting to the end zone and scoring the touchdown to make it 14 all. And then the black shirt sealing the game for the most part. Cam Taylor Britt was in the exact same situation earlier in the season, knocked it away, could intercept it. This time, though, intercepts it, uh, getting the top spot in our plays with the leaping grab that gives Nebraska a stop, giving it back to them to get the final drive to win the game. We're pleased now to be joined by Parker Gabriel, sports reporter from the Lincoln Journal-Star. Parker, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Really well. You know, we were talking earlier about this Rutgers game and comparing it to 2020. It really is a microcosm of everything that happened in this season, right? All the turnovers, the penalties, special teams, but in the end, this time, winning the game. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you are going to have to win close games in the Big Ten. They're not always going to be pretty. It certainly wasn't on Friday night. Um, But for a team that has lost a lot of close games, not only this year, but over the past three years, any time you come out on the correct side, on the winning side of a one-possession game, you're going to take it and and not worry too much about how you got there. PG, I want to look big picture going into looking at this year and heading into next year. I, we all, I think we all can agree that the defense was a bright spot for this team in, in 2020. 
what other bright spots in things do you, can you say that were very successful in, in 2020 and would help boost them into 2021? Yeah, that's a good question. I do think that most of the bright spots were were on defense. Certainly, uh, the place-kicking game was – there was a sense of calm in that position with Connor Culp taking over. Uh, you highlighted, I thought, very well some of the special teams issues in other departments in the last segment. The kicking game was fine, place-kicking-wise, and so – Connor Culp, you know, he wasn't honored on senior day. It seems as though he's going to come back for 2021 and use that extra year. So they'd be really happy, I think, to get a second year out of him. Um, I think you like the development with some of the young players. You know, we saw up and down play from a couple of the offensive linemen, the redshirt freshman Bryce Benart and Ethan Piper that played a lot of snaps on the offensive line. But when you look at their ability to hold up from a physical standpoint, more or less through the season, play a lot of football, and then when you look on the defensive side with a lot of young guys, Ty Robinson, Casey Rogers, Nick Henrich, who you guys talked a little bit about earlier, um, the strides that Garrett Nelson made over the second half of the season, there are a lot of first and second year players, third year in, in Casey Rogers' example, uh, in the trenches, front seven defensively, offensive line, offensively, that you see the development. It's not a finished product. And it's not always pretty with all of them all the time. But you're, it take, we t- we've talked for three years. It takes a long time to develop uh, up front and in the trenches both ways. And I think you started to see signs of that development happening on both sides of the ball. Parker Gabriel joining us from the Journal Star. So there's a lot of things on the side of why to play a bowl game. Obviously, just for the players, they get some cash as all part of it, get some swag as well. It's a chance to win another game, maybe get a winning streak going, get some extra practices. Why do you think, Parker, the team overall decided not to play this bowl game? Yeah, I think it, I think the thing that I would say about that is just that you can tell, given the number of teams around the country that decided not to play, that it must have been really trying and that, that it's not a specific conversation to Nebraska. I, frankly, I was a little bit surprised uh, that the players, you know, voted uh, against playing in a bowl game. I thought... Uh, leaving, you know, Piscataway, even though it's a long trip back to Lincoln and they got back at 3.30 in the morning on Saturday morning, I thought that maybe they'd want to go try to get one more. That obviously didn't happen. Um, and I think more than more than anything, what it tells you is that it must have been a trying fall and, and a trying several months dating all the way back to April. Uh, one, because typically, you know, you don't see teams pass up the opportunity to play another game. And two, Nebraska wasn't the only one, not even not even close. And mm-hmm. so that just says to me that, you know, those guys put on a good face and they didn't complain much over the course of this year. But I think it must have been taxing in ways that maybe you didn't really notice if you were watching from the outside. Parker, how much do you think it mattered of when the game was going to be? Because if it was going to be on the 26th, you'd have talked about a, a quick practice, having to get out to Arizona, be able to get tested and everything. That's right over Christmas. How much do you think that was the impact on it? Yeah, I think, it, I think it made a lot of difference for two reasons. One, because even though Nebraska played a day early on Friday night, uh, they didn't get back until, like I said, 3.30 in the morning on Saturday morning. And, and Scott Frost said after the game in his news conference on Zoom with us that they weren't, he wasn't sure how, how excited his guys would be to go play a week from Saturday on the 26th. And then the second part of that is I think it's possible that if Nebraska would have played, say, like December 30th or even January 1st, there would have been an opportunity to perhaps get their guys home for a couple of days, be able to be home for Christmas and then come back for essentially a regular week. And so not only were you going to be traveling on Christmas Eve or Christmas day, 
But that thought that, hey, maybe we could sneak three or four days in off for, off for our guys went away if the 26 was going to be one that we played. So looking ahead to 2021, as Jay was talking about some of the positives, you've got two quarterbacks coming back that both did some good things. Obviously, Adrian ended the season strong. What's your feel about that position? Also, Logan's mother's is kind of in the wings. What's your feel for that position heading into 2021? Well, I think right now, um, you know, this is about as far away from the season as you can be, obviously. Uh, I think that you just you look at it through the lens of 2020 and say Adrian Martinez begins the offseason with the upper hand. Obviously, Luke McCaffrey closed the gap on Adrian over the course of last offseason. So can he stack another good offseason onto that and maybe close the gap even more or overtake him? We don't know much about Logan Smothers. We didn't see him on the field this year. They obviously like him a lot. Uh, he ran 10, eight in the hundred meters. He's really athletic. Uh, they like the way he processes information. So we'll see if a, a, a true off season can help get him in that conversation. Um, and so if you just look at it with those three guys, I think then the question becomes, how do you unlock more in the passing game, particularly down the field? You know, they completed 69% of their passes overall this year, I think. And Adrian was at 71 and a half percent, but it, it, they weren't as efficient in the passing game as they were last year when Adrian only com- completed 59 and a half percent. So whatever it is that didn't allow for them to be efficient in the passing game, I think that's got to be one of the biggest questions that needs answering over the course of the offseason. PG, the offense is, is they definitely did not achieve my expectations in 2020, and they definitely underachieved, uh, for lack of better terms. What I mean, We talked about the quarterbacks in, in, in Adrian and in, in Luke and potentially Logan Smothers, and I think in this offense, obviously in any offense, it's all about the, the QB. What other position are you, are you most interested to see how they develop in, to get this offense to where it needs to go heading into 2021? Yeah, I think it starts for me, it starts on the offensive line. Always. We talked throughout the offseason, you know, leading up to this fall about how all five starters were back. They had so much experience and really they only, you know, they started three of those five starters. Uh, Cam Jurgens just being still a young guy as a sophomore. And one of those three, Matt Farniak, was playing a different position. We saw him play right guard and center over the course of the season. And so it was a veteran group by returning starts and all of that, but they're breaking in a pair of redshirt freshmen, uh, especially once Ethan Piper sort of supplanted Bo Wilson and played full time. So to me, that that's got to be a group that, that gets a more consistent push. One of the things Scott Frost said late in the season was, you know, sometimes on first down, we run the ball, we crease it for nine, and then we call the same play later in the game and, it, and, and we're in second and 11. You just can't have that. You don't need to get nine yards every time you run the ball, but too many negative plays – too many plays where you don't get the push you're looking for. So to me, it starts with that group. And then obviously um, there's almost no way they can be as inexperienced at running back behind Diedrich Mills um, as they were this year going forward. And so the experience for those young guys, I think, I think they have to identify a guy who can be in every down back in that backfield. Uh, and, and that you saw, you saw it against Rutgers. Once they got the running game going, mm-hmm. how many times did you have a tight end? How many times did Adrian Martinez have an easy throw to a tight end over the middle of the field to get 15 or 16 yards, 12 yards. Those are easy throws when you're getting sucked from the linebacker level toward the line of scrimmage with a little play fake. But if you can't run the ball consistently, the linebacker level is not going to be fooled by that stuff. You're going to have a much tougher time throwing the ball. So last week, Parker, you bring in a whole class of guys 
And what throws the wrench in all that is we don't know who's coming back from the seniors. You mentioned Diedrich Mills. We talked about Will Honus earlier. There's Jojo Doman. Do you think you have a feel right now for talking to these guys on who may come back and how that's all going to work? Yeah, a lot of those guys have really played their cards pretty close to the vest. Um, obviously, you've got six six starters on defense. Uh, seven, if you include Kyle Miller, obviously. He told us a couple of weeks ago that, that he's going to retire from football. So six guys that have decisions to make. You know, they all use redshirt seasons. Um, they're all, they've all been five-year college players. Uh, Will Honus and Deontay Williams were junior college guys. Uh, a bunch of them have had major injury issues. So I don't think it's a guarantee that you get any of them back. But I do think it would be surprising if every single one of them left. So the question just becomes who, if my gut says, I wouldn't expect a lot of them to return. But I think when you're talking about Will Honus, I'm interested in what the NFL thinks of a guy like Ben Stilley, because to me, he played the best football of his career this fall. So it's just a matter of, can he gain more in terms of his stock by coming back for another season? He's another guy that, that maybe, you know, you could see coming back. And obviously even just those two guys, that would be a lot of, a lot of leadership and a lot of production defensively. So it's going to be interesting. I think we'll see those decisions you know, from any time from the next couple of days through the next couple of weeks over the holidays. The bit silly question is interesting. I know, Jay, you know, whoever drafts you, there's a position they're thinking you're going to be in. Where does he fit? I mean, is he a five technique? Should he be a three technique and a, and a four three? Where does he fit? Yeah, it's interesting because he's, he's played everything. He's played from the nose. He's played from the, the, the three techniques. Yeah, but outside five. linebacker? <laughs> And that's maybe a, a plus, but also some teams may be being like, I don't, we don't know where he, he could play. I, mm. To me, right now, as big he is, he looks like he has a four to five technique in a three four, and he's that's what he's going to play. Like that's like we talked about the not the Bill Belichick style of, of three fours they played right. in. It's, it's it's the Wade Phillips style of the three fours that you're going to see like the Texans play and, yeah. and other teams. He's to me, he'd be more of a JJ Watt type of style, but. He's not obviously to the level of J.J. Watt, but he just seems he'd fit that mold a, a, a little more and just kind of keeping him out to the outside and not being uh, across from the nose. Parker, what about the coaching staff? Because we talked offensive line. We had a lot of expectations. Didn't live up to it, but they had a lot of young guys. Um, the quarterback position hasn't made a lot of strides, so there's Mario Verduzco. What, what's your feel about the coaching staff coming back in 2021? Yeah, I think, you know, when Scott Frost first came here, he brought that entire staff, and that was sort of a – almost an unprecedented uh, level of unity in bringing an entire staff. And even given the togetherness of that group, each of the two off seasons so far, we've seen at least one assistant coach move on. One of them, you know, in year one, it was Mike Dawson. And then he actually came back Mm -hmm. the next off season, Uh, two guys left last year. So I, I think the easiest way to say it is you expect to see some movement, but you know, that that's a train that goes two ways. Uh, You know, it can be, the head coach deciding that he needs to make a change somewhere where he's not getting production, uh, or it can be a coach that has an opportunity on that front on the coaches pursuing the next job. I'll be curious because the coaching carousel, obviously there's news today with Auburn hiring a coach and all that, but the coaching carousel has not been as frenetic this year, uh, probably in part because of the pandemic. And so there's not, dozens and dozens of jobs out there certainly there are openings that that you know you could you could theoretically see guys pursuing but for the most part it's been a quieter year on that front so far so that'll be one of the major I think curiosities of the next couple weeks will be uh if that sort of quiet offseason on the coaching front extends to Lincoln or or if we get some turnover here coming up. Part Gabriel joining us from Lincoln Journal Star. I think you looked at this, or somebody from your paper did, uh, about the amount of teams that had special teams coordinators in the Big Ten. Nebraska chose to go with an analyst 
Special teams, as you mentioned, didn't get much better. What do you think happens with, with special teams as we head into the next year? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, Scott Frost hasn't traditionally had a full-time special teams coach. It's been sort of divvied up on his staff um, when he's been a head coach. But certainly uh, it would be fair to look at Nebraska's special teams and say, you know, it needs attention. It just needs to be better. However that happens, whether it's Jonathan Rutledge continuing as the senior analyst in that or if it's a full-time coach. The, the tricky part on that, of course, is, you know, in order to hire a full-time special teams coach, there's got to be an opening on your staff. How do you split up duties? You know, they've got um, a couple of areas where they're heavy coaching-wise, um, tight ends and wide receivers, inside linebackers and outside linebackers. Eric Schnander obviously has a history of coaching linebackers himself. A lot of uh, prowess on the coaching staff and in, in coaching defensive front seven. But I think you would also say that by and large, that's a group of coaches that you're really happy with the work they did this year with Tony Tuioti on the defensive line, Barry Rudin, Mike Dawson coaching the linebackers, Eric Schnander as the coordinator. So I don't know that there's an easy answer there, but that's why a guy like Scott Frost, you know, that those are the decisions that he is paid to make is how do I maximize uh, the, the, the talent that I have on my coaching staff? And is there something that I need to go pursue to make my program better. You think the Big Ten West got more difficult adding Brett Bielema at Illinois because you got some good coaches and Nebraska's already behind Wisconsin, Iowa. They've been behind Northwestern. Do you think the Big Ten West got even better bringing in Brett Bielema? Yeah, I do. I do. I, and Lovey Smith is a really good coach, obviously. You know, he's taken the team to the Super Bowl, been in the NFL a long time. Um, but Brett Bielema, it, I don't know that he's going to be a step down in terms of that job at this time. Uh, he's he's from Illinois. He grew up a pig farmer in Illinois, obviously played at Iowa, and then he coached at Wisconsin. And so uh, he's a Big Ten West guy. Uh, he knows the high school scene in Illinois and in the Midwest. Uh, he knows how to win in the Big Ten. And so that's not an overnight project. I think um, just I covered Brett when I was in college. I think that the style that he wants to play and the roster that he wants to build probably looks a little bit different than what they've got in Champaign right now. So it's not an overnight building project, but uh, Brett Bielema's won a lot of football games in the Big Ten, and I don't know that he's going to win three Big Ten championships in Illinois, but certainly uh, he's going to build a program that wants to hang its hat on being physical and, and tough. And, and uh, you know, Illinois, uh, for, they've won some games in recent years, but that's not, I don't think, what you would call the hallmarks of that program. So I think Brett's got a chance to make the division even deeper. Parker, last thing, February is the real signing period. What do you think Nebraska still has to add, whether it is a transfer or maybe another freshman? What do they still need to add? Yeah, so it'll be interesting. They've got five spots remaining right now. They signed 19 high school players. They've got a graduate transfer from Northern Illinois, or excuse yeah, Northern Iowa, excuse Iowa, me, yeah. already in the boat. And so I, I think that you can see them add anywhere from one to three high school players. Uh, if they added Tia Savea, the, the defensive lineman from Las Vegas, uh, Wyndon Hoahuli, the, the linebacker from Hawaii, and if they were to say flip Avante Dickerson from Minnesota, mm. those three guys, I think that'd be sort of a dream finish to your high school class. I don't know that that's going to happen. Obviously, six weeks is a long time in the recruiting game, but uh, but if you had those three guys, then you've got two spots to go to the transfer market with. The one thing I would say is I don't think, given how many players are in the portal and given how much activity there's going to be on that front this off season, I don't think you need to reach to take a high school kid. Uh, at this stage in the game, they're going to focus on a small number of guys that they really like. They're going to see how many of them they can get, and then they'll turn their attention to the transfer portal over the rest of the offseason. Parker, we appreciate it. Have a Merry Christmas, man. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you guys, too.
Parker Gabriel, Lincoln Journal star. Next up on the wrap-up, Sean Callahan is back to help us break down that 2021 recruiting class that signed last week. We'll also speak to one of those signees. Before we head to break, though, another batch of great images from Hale Varsity. Stay with us. We're back soon. Be sure to vote on this week's sideline survey. The question is, do you agree with Nebraska's decision to forego the bowl season? 61% of the people staying pretty consistent say no, they do not agree with it. Make sure you visit our wrap-up website to cast your vote. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us tonight on the wrap-up. I'm Michael Severe, joined by Sean Callahan. Sean, it wasn't an eventful early signing day or period, but it it was a, a very productive one. Yeah, and I think it really spoke to the relationships Nebraska built with their class. Um, 19 high school kids, they were all signed by 10 a.m. in the bag. And, Michael, you and I have been around a lot of signing days together the last 10-plus years, and there aren't very many like that where the drama uh, goes away. But I think you take coaches off the road, you take away visits, you take away all the the bells and whistles of recruiting. Um, You know, I think nationally, in general, it felt like less drama on this day. And uh, Nebraska, considering all the obstacles they had, Mm -hmm. they did a really good job getting a top-20 recruiting class, according to Rivals.com. Let's talk about one of those, talk to one of those signees. Henry Rizowski joining us here on the wrap up. Henry, we appreciate your time. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Kind of give us a breakdown of why you decided to pick Nebraska. What ultimately made that decision for you to go to Lincoln? Um, it, was, it was basically the relationship with the coaches. I mean, I knew that, you know, they would bring me in and treat me like one of their own. And, you know, that what you see is what you get, where a lot of places there's a lot of questions that you don't get answered. But, yeah, Henry, I'm curious. Uh, you probably watched the game Friday, and you saw a young guy um, like Turner Corcoran out there playing as a true freshman. How exciting is that to see that there are opportunities like that for young players? And Turner came in there, obviously, and did a really good job for his first time playing. Yeah, I was really excited. Me and Turner, uh, we got really close over quarantine, and uh, so I was really excited for him and to see that you know that they're not just going to start the uh, the oldest guy; they're going to start the best man up. And so I thought that was very promising. Henry, watching your tape, I, I could see you playing almost anywhere on the offensive line, but are you, th- you think you'll start off at tackle? Uh, probably guard. Okay. I played tackle this year for high school because that was the biggest need. What do you think your biggest strength is as an offensive? Besides being strong, what do you think your best quality is as an offensive lineman? Um, probably as a run blocker. I definitely excel more at that than I do pass. Henry, um, I'm curious, a lot of these guys in the class with you are going to enroll early. What are your plans here um, now that you've signed your letter? Um, I'm going to finish up high school here. I've got I've got two weeks left after break, and then I will enroll early. How did your season go? How did it end up going overall? Uh, it, it went okay. I think that we, you know, we beat ourselves up a little bit too much, but, you know, you just got to move on and just keep going and so we we did our best to uh to not focus on some of those early losses and eventually we lost to the uh state champion in the second round of the playoffs but nothing to really be upset about that if they're the best in the state then they they uh definitely should have beat us 
Henry, I'm curious, you have uh, two weeks left. You said after Christmas. What is the timeline then? I mean, do you have an idea? Uh, everything's a little bit different now. I mean, when, when does Nebraska want you guys here? Um, and, you know, will you be on campus? Right. I mean, uh, what is kind of the setup for the early enrollees this year? Um, so once I – yeah, so I got about I have two weeks of uh, Christmas break, two weeks from today, actually, I go back and then – I'll have that four-day week and then another four-day week. And so that Thursday I'll be done. And then sometime around the 20th, they're going to bring the guys in. Interesting. Hey, Henry, really appreciate it. Congratulations, and we look forward to seeing you on the field in Lincoln. All right, thank you. Thanks, Henry. A couple in-state guys to talk about now. Sean, Mike O'Reilly, ton of offers. We know how talented he is. Caden Helms, we know how talented he is. Scott Frost said on signing day it helps to have guys in-state who are talented. These are two of the best. Yeah, this is a great run Nebraska is on right now in the state with talent. And Bellevue West with Mike O'Reilly, Caden Helms, both 6'5", 6'6", both national Power 5-level recruits. Riley ranked a four-star. Helms, a high three-star. Riley's got some big-time tight end offers when you look at it right now. Iowa, Michigan, Penn State, Nebraska. You go down the line, I mean, he is going to definitely be a top-five national tight end target. And Helms is right there. And, you know, Michael... They both are a little bit different. Um, you know, Helms almost kind of fits more of a um, a bigger split in that can play tight end, and, and I think Riley seems more of a be a more traditional Big Ten style tight end. So, um, you know, I, I thought it was interesting that Oklahoma State offered Helms this week too. Um, he does fit the Big Twelve, but I yep. think Nebraska has done a, a good job on both. Um, if I had to project, I think they'd probably have a better chance on Helms. Uh, Riley, though, I think they're right in the top three with him. But there's a long time to go. These two kids are going to take a lot of visits, they told me, this this year, once they can take those visits. And they're going to have that opportunity with all the offers they have. Um, they're the type of guys that could take five or ten trips here once uh, visits are open back up. Mm-hmm. Real quick, tell me, uh, before we get to the class, I want to remind folks that 2021 recruiting class, we will definitely take a closer look at it. High school football fix over the holidays. You can head to our website and relive all of the action from the 2020 NSAA football championships at netnebraska.org slash NSAA. You can go there right now. All right, Sean, let's talk about the class. What, what's missing? What In the end of the day, when you look at it, what did they need to get that maybe they can fill in in February? Well, I feel like we've said this, Michael, for a few years in a row, but they still need to me that premier pass rusher. Who are the guys, when you rush four, who are those four? You need that premier guy that can get in there. And Nebraska hasn't had that money pass rusher guy in a while. And who is that guy right now? Can they still get someone um, is it Wyndham out of Hawaii? Uh, I'm not gonna, Parker did a good job, by the way, on that last day yes. uh, pronunciation. But um, you know, I think they've got a good chance on him. He's an outside linebacker. Uh, Tia Savea is more uh, of a three-four DN. I wouldn't call him a pass rusher. Um, so, who is that guy they can get to, to give them a pass rusher here for the future? Depending on what the offense is going to be like, if it's going to be this physical running game, blocking tight ends and big wide receivers, if that's the offense. They need to go out and get a junior college or a transfer running back, you think? You know, there are two to three transfer spots available, and a lot will depend on Mills. Um, But you're right. If Mills goes pro, and I I tend to think he's leaning that way, Michael. I don't know that for a fact, but um, it it just seems like he's had his mind made up that this was going to be his last year of college, but now he has the opportunity uh, to come back if he wants to. Um, But it's finding the right guy. And when you look at the current roster of running backs after Mills, 
you can't really honestly say that you think any one of those guys could be a thousand yard type back next year. And to win in this conference, yep. you need to have a thousand yard type running back, um, a consistent presence. And you know, Nebraska called twenty one design runs for Martinez in that game against Maryland, or I'm sorry, Rutgers, and then obviously the the 25 carries uh, for for Mills. So that was a great recipe, but you can't expect Martinez to take 21 carries like that and design run plays every game. Yeah, Ramir Johnson and Marvin Scott and Sevian Morrison and Ronald Tompkins. What about Gabe Irvin? He's coming to this class. How does he fit? Can he be that physical kind of And, and he might be. Um, he's a wild card. Had a great season, season in Georgia. Uh, they're very high on, on Gabe Irvin and, and, and what he brings to the table. They've only signed one running back this year, too. Um, mm. you know, and, and we've seen him almost take two every year since Frost has been here. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see kind of where he factors in. Just through my history covering running backs, you typically know, Michael, in the first month if a guy can play or not. I mean, I go back to um, just all the great ones. I remember Brandon Jackson when he got to campus in 04. And you just looked at his his lower body and his legs. You're like, man, that guy could play. Like, he's going to play right away and be something special. And you can go down the line. I mean, typically, guys don't emerge late in their career running back. You know, as a freshman, that they're going to come in and and do something right away. But when this offense has worked best, I think we can all agree, Devina Zigbo freshman year, Mills at the end of last year, we saw it again. They need that kind of back. Yeah, they need somebody – to compliment the quarterback. The quarterback should not be the primary rushing uh, guy. They need somebody to give them that 25. I mean, just look how much better things looked when Mills can take 25 carries. Everything else just opened up, and even though Martinez in the offense had the four turnovers, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they still looked as good as we've seen all year in terms of balance. What about a a junior college or a transfer wide receiver? A lot will depend on Omar Manning. What is going to happen with Omar? Where is he at? Is he going to be back next year? I mean, we assume so. We don't know um, his situation because him not playing really changed just the whole look of what this group was supposed to be. Um, so I think a lot depends on that. And I don't know how big of a rush they're going to be. Uh, I, I think they're going to be very diligent if they take transfers because you're only going to have two or three actual scholarships to give if you go transfers. And let me tell you, I mean, there's 60, 70 additions in that portal every single day right now in December. It's been crazy uh, the number of people that keep going in that portal. And, you know, it's going to be hard for a lot of these guys to land somewhere, um, you know, after they, they leave their Power 5 programs. Joe, uh, let's start with Jay in terms of wrapping up the 2020 year. Can you put a bow on it for us? What, what's your feel when you look back at this very strange eight games, six month long, it felt like season? <laughs> Uh, things I'm excited uh, was excited in and happy to see was the defense take their steps. I think they and I didn't I was I wasn't expecting much out of the defense this year. I thought the offense was going to carry most of of the weight. They stepped up and, and did a great job. I thought the physicality. I you didn't see many games where the offensive line, defensive lines were owned up front. I I didn't I didn't see a lot of. That. I, I like the physicality. I like that approach. The, the the physical toughness. Now the mental toughness, on the other hand, might need to improve. But I thought those two things. But looking ahead, I I mean the biggest question marks heading to 2021. Where's this offense and special teams going to go? Yeah. I think you know the offense is the, is the biggest question mark. Uh, when you have an offensive mind head coach, you're you're going into year four of this offense potentially with a four-year starter and you really haven't you know 
gotten going. You, you've, you've stubbed your toe. You've, you've kind of just been spinning your wheels, and you've been sitting in neutral now for three years. So where's this offense going to go in, in 2021? And can you get these special teams uh, mistakes corrected? Because when you have all these one-score close losses in the Big Ten, and we're not talking about AAC, we're not talking about Pac-12 football, we're talking about good solid defensive you know we're talking about disciplined football teams where you can't you can't make these mistakes in this hope that your offense is going to uh you know score 40 to 50 points a game you're going to need your off your your special teams to step up and get those hitting yarders and get those you get those points you needed to to beat the northwesterns and in the illinois and the indianas and those teams that just you think you can beat day in and day out but you know what they're pretty smart and physical and, and, and disciplined football teams before we get to burning questions real quick sean final wrap on 2020 thought we got just a taste or a reminder of what this can be uh, when we saw that game on Friday at, at Rutgers, but also a lot of reminders of why Nebraska is three and five. And the little things matter. The details matter. <clears throat> Nebraska continues to be their own worst enemy. And if they can eliminate the penalties, the fumbles, I mean, think about this. The offense put the ball on the ground 20 times this year on yeah. running plays. Um, they didn't lose all those fumbles, but just way too many things. Quarterbacks had 16 fumbles this year total. Uh, they didn't lose them all, but 16 total on the ground. Uh, they're, they're just not going to consistently win with those types of things. They've got to figure out ways why those things are happening. I'll stay with you for your burning question, Sean. All right, my burning question is, is really what will this roster look like? How, how much attrition are we going to see? Um, will there be any coaching staff shakeup uh, with things? And what seniors are going to come back, uh, particularly yeah. a guy like Mills? I, mean, I assume he's gone. Uh, then where do they go at running back after, uh, after Mills? And then on defense, if they can get Stilly and Honus to return, I think that would be two realistic defensive guys that you would hope to come back. Burning question, Jay? Uh, offense. Without a doubt, where's his offense go? This this team is is it's lacking. It is without a doubt lacking. The defense picked up there in the bargain. It's time for the offense to, to pick it up. And can they finally uh, do that in 2021? Simply special teams. It's pretty simple. Got to get better on all phases of special teams. That's it for us in 2020. We're back in 2021 to break down each and every recruit in Nebraska's 2021 recruiting class following National Signing Day. Join us and catch highlights on the next crop of Huskers. That's Thursday, February 4th. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, MuskerOnline.com. Our thanks to Parker Gabriel, Henry Litovsky for joining us tonight, and a special thank you for you for joining us throughout the 2020 football season. For Jay Moore, Sean Callahan, I'm Michael Severe. Happy holidays. We'll see you next time on NET's Big Red Wrap.